This episode is brought to you by our friends at FB Autosport. There's nothing worse than spending your race weekend under your car missing sessions because you were too swamped to get everything done in time. Whether it's car prep, new car builds, or arrive and drive, FB Autosport has you covered for Time Attack, GLTC, or WRL. They even have cars you can rent now while you put the finishing touches on your latest race car project. Reach out to Rob at FB Autosport now and tell him that Slip Angle sent you to get your project car finished and get back on track. Hey everybody, do you have a trailer sitting around that only gets used a few times a year for track events or chores or home center runs or whatever? You can rent out your open, enclosed car hauler, dump trailer, travel trailer, etc. when you're not using it on tolos.com, T-O-W-L-O-S.com. If you currently street drive your track, autocross, or drift car to events and need a trailer to travel further, make sure to check out tolos.com. Find car hauler trailers available near you. They're building up their inventory, and uh, maybe you can add to it or use it. Don't feel the need to purchase a $5,000 or more trailer when you can rent one for $100 a day or less on Tolos. Let your trailer collect money, not dust. Tolos is an online trailer sharing marketplace. Stoked to help build that marketplace and uh, maybe contribute or use a trailer soon. For years, Slip Angle and Apex Pro have worked together to help make drivers faster. The all-new Apex Pro mobile app for iOS and Android is now available on the App Store and Google Play Store. Download the new app for free. Create a user account to log as many laps as you'd like using your phone as the GPS source. Apex Pro is the app for timing your laps and logging your data at the track. With video recording and intuitive analysis features, plus the ability to easily share and compare data, Apex Pro is the best way to learn about your driving trackside. Apex Pro includes leaderboards so you can see where you stack up against other users, and Apex Pro lets you see other drivers on track in real time with the Crew View feature. Upload your data easily to FireLabs to compare with drivers using other data devices. Download for iOS and Android today by searching Apex Pro New. Hey, Adam. <clears throat> hey, man. Long time. It's freezing cold by you? Yeah, it's cold enough. I think it was like uh, in the 30s today, and it's currently 23, which is bullshit. Yeah, it's like 19 here. It was... 25 for a high yesterday and windy and then like 22 for a high today and breezy not been outside for the last two days well, tomorrow's me crabby. 47 so i can live with that yeah it'll be a little warmer here tomorrow too but the it was the trial by fire for the cold uh, today and yesterday the really nice part uh, about my life in louisville is that most of the time a light jacket is sufficient because i don't spend a ton of time outside so i'm walking to and from the car or taking Sloan mm-hmm. to and from daycare. If I were spending a lot of time outside, of course I'd dress warmer, but I don't need a heavy coat here and it's kind of great. I have a Milwaukee jacket that has a battery to keep me from hating it. And I didn't charge any of the batteries because I only use the batteries for the jacket. The, the, the M12s, right? The little guys? Yeah, little cutie boys. How uh, many hours and I, and of, like... of warmth do you get in a Chicago winter? Out of a single, uh, what is it, 1.5 battery? Um, so there's the little tiny slim battery, and then I've got like one that's a big brick that I use on my little grinder wheel. Okay. Uh, and they both work. The, the big brick will be like four or five hours. But it's really like the front and the back of your body that it heats up, not the arms. My arms are the things that get cold. Like I usually wear a hoodie and the jacket. I wish so, it had more heating elements in it. By uh, keeping the front and back warm, that's what keeps you alive. It may not keep you comfortable, yeah, but it does keep you alive. 
Yeah, but I wasn't gonna die. My arms are cold. <laughs> <laughs> this is I'm I'm seeking comfort here, man. I'm trying to pull an ape and ha- and live a comfortable life, and the jacket's not warm in the places that are cold. When did you get that jacket? Uh, Sarah got it for him for Christmas a couple years ago. It's a really good jacket, just as a jacket, real heavy duty and stuff. Uh, it's actually a very warm jacket, so I don't even like run the thing very much. But. Really. It's a good jacket, though. Well, yeah, I think I like it. it's because, in part, you like are afraid of being comfortable because you're worried that it might well, make you, you your, soft. If you live your life with comfort, uh, then everything is adversity. So, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is, um, is that true? Well, the the, the least the less comfort you seek, the the easier things get, in my opinion. But um. I wear this jacket when it's like 30 and below and from like 30 to 45 I wear and I wear it with a hoodie and I have like this I always have like a favorite hoodie of the time and right now I bought this like thermal true work hoodie which is like pretty great and then I also wear like a lighter jacket over top of it it's like 30 to 45 or something like that and above 45 I just wear a hoodie so. outdoor so- life so we just talked about a whole host of topics not to record about on the show. What did we arrive at but, that we should talk about? Um, I don't know. Uh, the one thing that, so I got my parent, I got my dad finally to social security and he first got his first social security check two weeks ago. Right. Okay. Um, which, which was like a big, for the last 15 years, it's been like dig your, Dig my parents out of debt, get that business either sustainable or like to zero, no debt, get my parents to like goal of having some financial stability, having everything paid off, having money in the bank and getting social security, right? Sure. And my dad wanted to wait a little extra while. He didn't want to take it at 65. He took it at 66 and a half so he could continue working and not have to pay 50% of of what he makes back to Social Security and get a much smaller check from Social Security and all the things that go along with taking it later. So so he's in a good spot, finally, Um, which is great. It was a good feeling. Like, didn't really change my life at all. Still working too much, but... Side question. um, Related question, but clarifying. Uh, I know how much you get from Social Security depends on how much you've made and how much you've paid in over the course of your life. Um, yep. how like is, is your, is your family planning to live exclusively on the income from social security and like what fraction no. of their monthly income they could. would have been, uh, supplemented by social security? Cause like, um, I mean, they people could. in my family, they could live off of it. people in my family, like they historically have not been super good with money. And so the amount yeah. of money that they have in social security is what they will live on for the rest of their life, which sounds hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. That does sound hard. I mean, they could, they could live a fairly comfortable life if, if they're both collecting my mom and my dad, my mom hasn't paid in that much, but my dad, my dad, had, it, I think it's like on your best 10 years or something like that. I forget, but my dad knows a lot. He's, he's, expl- I'm, I'm only knowing what he's, he's on a ton of research on this stuff. Um, and he finally got like their savings built back up and their house is paid off again and all the things, you know, um, he always kind of lived feast to famine. Like he would have good years when the economy was rolling, uh, in the door and window business. Then he'd have really flat, mediocre years when, 
when we were like launching uh, warheads at Baghdad and things like that, like people stopped buying stuff. Sure. When like when nine eleven happened, like money didn't come in for eighteen months. You know, people just pinch the pennies then. You know, um, so that was uh, that was always fun. But you know, having uh, oh dad, dad spent too much money, and then oh dad doesn't have any money. Like those are fun things to grow up with. <laughs> but probably pretty normal for self employed. Yeah. Life, but yeah. so I saw a question on Reddit a while ago, and it was, what is a hallmark sign that you grew up poor? And some of the top comments, I was like, oh, yeah, that that checks out. Um, I don't yeah. know how yeah. you feel about spending. Do you um, do you stew on spending? I don't know, a, a reasonable sum of money on something for like months at a time, even though you can afford it because you just don't feel like you should. Oh yeah. Sometimes for years. So I, I would like yeah. to buy tires and wheels for the the Tesla because it has summers on it and I don't yep. want to be driving yep. in the winter on those. And uh, you could buy a set of wheels and like a reasonable all season tire and the pressure sensors and all of those things and have it shipped to your house for like 3000 bucks. Um, oh. that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money. And you know, I've, it's probably going to be winter or even next spring before I decide like, Hey, just bite the bullet and get these. Well, I wouldn't do it next spring. I can need them that. It's true. We no. really only get like, <laughs> historically we've gotten like one serious snowstorm here where it maybe affects so traffic for like one day. And on that yeah, day, perhaps that I day. might work from home. Yeah. If Do you want them? Is this a thing you really want? Well, I'd like to actually just be driving on 18s specifically because I think 20s are silly. Uh, they are. I, they're I, big. They're big and they're prone to break and the potholes and all the things. I would rather just have an 18 and sacrifice style points for usability. Would you get an all season then instead of a summer tire? Most likely. Cause like, I don't actually think the summer tires on a commuter car make a whole lot of sense. I mean, I, I guess that they give you right. a little bit more rain performance, but other than that, like they're not, uh, they're not an ultra high performance summer tire. So I don't really know what the benefit of the summer is. Probably very little. Uh, would there be, here, here's one way to look at it. Would there be a benefit? This is just typical car guy stuff. Is like you're gonna have this car for a while, but like in a few years, if you get rid of it, is there a benefit to having the current tires in great shape? Where you're gonna keep it too long, that the tires will be dated out and blah blah blah. Like, well, I mean, you took the I don't really OEM Tesla wheels and put them on the side. Well, I already curbed a wheel, so that you know, oh, that sucks. <laughs> that that happened in the first week that I bought it, which is a damn shame. But, I remember that. I remember that now. Yeah. But I mean, they're just like they're just wheels. They're not special. So, right. I think the the aftermarket yeah. for those wheels. If you're buying aftermarket wheels, you're probably not buying those. And no. Uh, for for the people that we are encircled by, having a twenty inch wheel that costs five hundred dollars a tire to fit. I was like, there's to me, there's no draw in that at all. I don't know why you wouldn't just use an 18. I, I right. really don't understand the, 
obsession in current modern car design of having big wheels. Those those things yeah, they tiny rubber band tires. Yeah, like they're they're worse on the street for sure. And I, I know I'm going to sound like an old person. They're worse on the street for well, they sure. They ride worse. Uh, they ride worse. They're more prone to damage. But like, if you're tracking the car at all, you're going to want the more cost effective tire, probably. Well, yeah. And so I think like, it's it's style. It's style like gone to the nth degree more than anything. You know. I don't like it. Like they've they've pushed it to the limit. Remember when like dubs were like a thing. 20 yeah. years ago and you're like damn dude's got 20 inch wheels that's so dumb and now they're on like mild sedans <laughs> so i i should say that i have a ridiculous love for the donk style of cars and ashley whenever she sees one out in public she'll send me a picture just so i can admire it i think donks are like, the coolest. I, I think they're cool i think they're cool would i build one no but like I used to think they were the stupidest thing in the world. And now and now sort of like, you know, it's it's like uh it's almost it's almost like nostalgic to see like a really well done like donk or donk similar. Yeah. <laughs> I kinda like it because I've seen so many bad ones. And so when you like, see like a really nice one, you're like, Okay, yeah, I get that. We got the same we got the same problems, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I feel you there. Yeah. Um, so like maybe it's just because I think of my current car as a commuter car and not necessarily as like a, uh, I don't know the, the play or fun car, but I just, just give me some 18s, please. Have you, uh, have you looked for used wheels or like, is that common wall pattern? Um, no, I think it's five by one fourteen point three. Um, that's everywhere probably. Yeah. It's, it's pretty common. Uh, I was trying to uh, buy some some wheels in a specific Tesla fitment from a well-known Supra driver. Um, mm-hmm. They have. I, I tried to place an order in June, and I'm still waiting. Right. Why? So, uh, they come on a boat from the other side of the world very slowly. I think. Oh, so he only sells them when he gets them. Well, I think they're they're like they were. Not maybe back order is the wrong word. I don't know. They they didn't have any in stock. I think you need to jump on the Facebook uh, Tesla Model Three for sale. Want to buy? Because I'm sure that exists. Oh, I'm sure it does. But the yeah, find, find yourself a nice thousand dollar set of used wheels that somebody paid twenty one hundred dollars for. Yeah, I get and that. Put some tires on. You got to go. Yeah, yeah. It's. A, I think that's a pretty common bull pattern. So like the offset and size 18s are common as heck now uh which is wild to me i remember when the 16s were like a huge wheel dude and then and then like figure out what the good offset for a tesla is that like doesn't rub everywhere but still you know looks semi-flush and buy it up dude yeah you get some te's get some te 37s i don't got te 37 money are you crazy You're just talking about three thousand dollars sets of wheels. That's like what? That, no, that's but not I mean, wheels. Tires. That's wheels, tires, and sensors, and shipped. Yeah, I'm doing racer math. You're doing real math. Fine, <laughs> racer math. Fine. What other it's kinds fine. of racer math you got? Mm, the so we you were talking about like retirement savings and stuff like that, and uh, retirement planning, and like college planning and all this stuff. And I think, man, you're so rare. 
it's so rare that you actually do that stuff. Um, yeah, I know a lot of professional people do, but how much do you think that the stress of the retirement planning takes away, and not to say like I'm not retirement planning, but uh, and I don't have like a lot of extra money or anything. Not like not even like you don't. A lot of people don't. But like, how much do you think like is there is there like a weird is there a sweet spot where like you're retirement planning enough? but you're having enough fun, but you're not being frivolous. Like, I don't even know if that exists. I'm hoping that I'm right there because it seems like, it seems like that's a weird, that's a hard place to be. Cause if you get, if you get your standard of living to a certain point, you're making enough that you're like, I have to keep this going when I'm old. Damn, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, and I got to like, I get like, but also you have the stress of, earning that money and working very hard for it. And then like, there's that balance of, I want to have some fun also. Like the, the having fun, I, I think is actually an important topic that we can talk about. So I have heard many stories of people that lived well within their means and responsibly for their entire life only to retire yep. and then suffer like a massive heart attack, you know, six months after they retire. In, yeah, or in that days after, way, days before. it's yeah. almost all for nothing, right? Because if you uh, avoid yep. living your living and enjoying your life while you're living it to um, potentially live better at some point in the future, it, your future's not necessarily guaranteed. You could easily be hit by a truck tomorrow on your commute to work. So, like, there, yeah, both, you, both you my need to find some early. balance. Yeah, my 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 dad's dad. He smoked his entire life, you know, probably since he was twelve, and had a heart attack, literally like oh two weeks before he was going to retire. fell off the fell off his riding lawnmower, and that was it. Right. Um, my my mom's dad died when he was fifty three. Good 56. grief! He was young. Um, by that time, and he and the doctors were like, "Yeah, it's because he was always dehydrated. He had a he had like a massive." stroke basically go into his or embolism or whatever they call it you know um and they said like he would drink like one cup of coffee a day never drink any water never drink anything else like he was chronically dehydrated um, but he didn't want to stop to pee because he was working so hard he was you know, he had multiple businesses by the time he was 53 he was worth like two million bucks my grandma hasn't had to work at all and she probably still has the money right sure um so he he like overplanned, especially for like the seventies and eighties. Oh sure. But then like never never got to see any of it. You know? Back so, when uh, people still had like pensions sometimes, depending on who they worked for. Yeah. He literally had a he had a Teamsters pension because he drove a truck for a while, which is small. But then he had like social security, which was fine. Um and he had a ton of savings and he had like four or five rental houses and two businesses and yeah, it was worth plenty of money, but like yeah, just fell over because he didn't take care of himself in a weird way. So I started my career with, with Dow chemical in 2016. And at that time they still had a pension in addition to their 401k. And I, for what, two years earned like money into a pension fund before they mm -hmm. abandoned that program completely. And they were like, okay, you can cash out or whatever. 
And right. pensions, super, super rare at this point. Miss them. Right. Well, they were also like basically, they were they were they were great for like one generation, and then it turns out they might have mostly been Ponzi schemes that were poorly thought out in execution, but not in reality. Are you trying to tell me that the boomers got the best deal out of everything? Yeah, pretty much in everything. Yeah, like name one single like social interaction or program that boomers got the raw end of the deal. I don't think there is one. Vietnam, maybe. <laughs> Fine. That's an, inter- that's an interaction. Uh, yeah, uh, Vietnam counts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, more more young kids died of uh, freaking uh, pills and stuff in the last twelve months than died in all ten years of Vietnam. But yeah, Vietnam is also terrible. So agreed. Got to keep that war machine the, uh, going. Yeah, man. It's, it turns out that's kind of what our country does. I think. So. Yes. It's the one, one way or the other, and then and then they and then they sell it to us uh, by making us hate somebody or making us call them the devil. I don't know. So uh, yeah. we, we were talking about racer math. Yeah. What else you got? You've got if you um, had to estimate the number of dollars in the form of transmissions in your basement. <laughs> it's uh, it, and it's an obscure one too. It's a three or four year Honda. Like they sold this this transmission for four years, and it doesn't fit anything else. So wait, let's um, get specific because I've referenced yeah. it on the show before, but I don't twenty seven. I don't think people point. can understand how much shelf space in your house is devoted to transmissions. Well, it's not shelf space; it's more like pallet racking in my basement. Um, and I've got a few of them at in my C container at work and stuff like the junkie parts ones, but this trip, they sold the, They only sold this transmission for four years and it's, that's the generation of civic I have. It's a different mount pattern, a different clutch style. So you can't use like, you can use the later ones if you buy like an adapter kit and all this stuff. But we just like started accumulating them like me and my brother. Um, and we would part these cars out. And if somebody was like, Hey, I just did a B series swap. Do you want this old D series cable transmission? I would say, yeah, obviously. And they were so like, just come the, get it. Oh, you would just get them for free? Most of them, yeah. Yeah, most of them. I don't pay money for anything. I never had any money. Like, I was broke as a joke until even just a few years ago. I was starting businesses with and, and like saving businesses with my friends and family, which is a terrible career path, yeah. by the way. But, uh, yeah, so, so I would get you have most of the stuff I have for free. Transmissions in your at basement. one point. I hit twenty-seven. I broke a couple of them down to build the current one in my car, so it's probably twenty-four, twenty-five. And how much is one of these trans- I give parts worth today? Uh, I mean, they're only worth a couple hundred bucks. If if you build, I sold a built one to a listener actually for. I think I had fifteen hundred into it, and I used it for a couple of seasons. Then I bought one from Blake Meredith. Or traded him, and uh, I think I sold that. I think I sold the bill one for like nine hundred bucks. But nice. That was worth a diff and the final drive. But they're not worth that much money. But it's really more like a, it's it having all this junk for this car is racer math for it will keep me in this car so I don't spend more money. So I got to like keep it around. It didn't cost me much to get it, but. I don't want to have the desires to play with more things. Do you know what I mean? Sure. 
because that gets expensive. I mean, expensive you had you purchased and sold the same D Sport or not D Sport um, Sports Racer like what, yeah, four yeah. times. Uh, three times. It's now gone forever. He's the dude who I sold it to. Is uh, he's like he's going full SCCA national level autocross with it, which is cool. It's going to be a B mod car. I don't know any of He's those like, mod categories. They're just, it's basically like levels of crazy. Like A mod is all the crazy and B mod is like, that's almost all the crazy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He's doing big arrow. He's doing um, like even the passenger seat area. Like he's he fiberglassed over it. He vented behind the wheels, you know, like tucked the fiberglass inwards to evacuate the, the wheel wells, like time attack style. Um, He's, he's, done, he's done a bunch of like uh, DIY um, computerized wind tunnel, whatever you call that stuff. Um, CFD and CFD uh, and even like CFD on the in the inlet for the ITBs for the what did that thing have in it? I had a four AG six R motor. I had a four AG and then I put a bike motor, in it, but I forget what I did. Oh, an R one engine. Yeah, it's an R one engine. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he drove it a bunch after he bought and it. And he was promptly a oiled down the uh, straight at Gingerbread, if I recall. With the first one, and then I sold it, and then I bought it back running. Yeah, I bought it back run, running and better for the same price, and then I was like, I don't have any time for this after I like did a few things to it, and then I sold it to somebody else for the same price because I was like, I can't make any money on this because I got such a good deal on it. <laughs> so, I didn't make it. I never made any money on that car, but it was, it was a fun experience. Certainly sounded cool. Did. But yeah, having all these other things for this one specific weird generation of Honda Civic keeps me in that world, which is like a non-expensive world. Um, and it also keeps me from like wanting to do K-swaps and B-swaps and all this stuff, which keeps me from spending money. So my thriftiness has actually probably paid off in the form of keeping me a non-race winner which is a, another way to lose lots of money is start winning races. Like it's, that's a slippery slope, but, but also like I have such a backup supply for everything. It's like, I can't get off this train now cause I could stay on this train for the 15 minutes. <laughs> this sounds like the premise for the first episode of Dutch garage. Uh, you know what? There's a, for, ever since YouTube, when YouTube came out, my dad was like, you should start a show about your cheap Honda Civics and how cheaply you do this hobby. And I was like, I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to be on YouTube. Um, and ever since then, probably once a year, somebody's like, why have you been filming this? I'm like, damn it. <laughs> probably, I probably, everything I've done, every, every choice I've made in life has been the incorrect one. <laughs> well, uh, add it to the list of novel concepts that Gridlife has proposed and then, like, just kind of gets lost. Yeah, if I recall, you once put a Type R motor a into a ideas. CRX, and I have not seen. That's or not heard. lost. That's that's not lost. It's still around. It, Honda, uh, or or not Honda, but a a company that rhymes with with Ronda uh, gave us an engine in Trance to put in to put in, and it was going to be a SEMA car. And then they like this company that rhymes with Ronda that gave us this dope engine in Trance. Because we pitched an idea of putting in a CRX, even though we knew it wouldn't fit, um, because Brian Hasport had, had basically already gotten one uh, and said, hey, this doesn't fit at all. I was like, I could put that in there. Um, 
this company gave it to us and then we got it all in there and we were making good progress. Like it was going to be a roller at Salmon. And then uh, we even like did a podcast with them and like, I think they put it out and they took it back down and we, it was like us and like some F1 guy was on the same show, like not together, but like back to back, like two 15 minute segments. It was weird. Uh, I don't even know who the host was. The host was like this, you know, he, he was like some radio guy, but, um, so it's together and it, it has, it now has a full cage, but they told us like, no, we, we're going to pull back on this program. Don't talk about it. And we're like, what does that mean? And then all those people disappeared at Honda. They're like, they all got new jobs and the entire crate engine program, or I mean, not Honda, the company that rhymes with Ronda, uh, this entire crate engine program for this one car that had just came out at the time, like disappeared. It just like went away. So, and they were like, don't talk about it. I'm sure we can talk about it now. But hmm. a couple of people finished building their cars. I think yeah, Stansworth I saw, built I saw a wagon. One. And I saw one in, built a a, wagon and somebody else. in an S2000, which I thought was pretty cool. Yes. Not yep. the I think best that was use of money, one of them too. but still yep. very cool. No, an S2000 doesn't make that much sense. You know, even in, like th that crate engine didn't make that much sense because it's not as strong as like a junkyard K24, but it's bigger and weirder. So. But it's in the car and the car is now like full race caged. And I think it's just up at, I think it's just up at ASM. I really don't even know. It's Chris's, it's Chris's car. So weird. I did a lot of work to it. I mean, it was, it was many days of, of engine mount and it, and engine mounts and like frame, frame rail removal and sectioning and boxing cross member removal, gusseting, notching for the trans. The trans is huge on that thing. Yeah. Cause and, it makes like, torque. But it's not that strong either. I think it's stronger than a regular K-Trans, but not by much. But, hmm. I mean, it's way bigger. Like, the diff housing sticks back multiple inches further than a regular K-Trans. Weird. Uh, and the casing's bigger. And then on the shock tower side, on the driver's side, uh, or passenger side, I mean, um, I had to, like, box in part of the shock tower, like, push it t outwards and, like notch around it just to like get it to clear some sensors and it was like all kinds of little weird fab work um and we solved all the problems we even got custom axles from drive chef shop and stuff but uh yeah it was a whole it was a whole deal and then what about yeah like hubs and knuckles and all of those things i remember uh, when we were the gonna, type r was released we're gonna use all oem stuff so like oem I was gonna crx o oem stuff? old civic yeah, oil, OEM old Civic stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Well, those cars work pretty well. You sure. want to reinvent all the wheels. Well, I remember Honda uh, Honda making a really big deal about the suspension geometry on the front end so that it didn't torque steer and all of those things. And so I wonder... Torque steer is a myth. It, no, it's, it's not a myth. Totally. It might totally be is. exaggerated totally, totally in the consequence... But it's yeah. definitely not a myth. Torque steer is for people that can't hold on to the steering wheel and who are afraid to push the throttle at the same time. So, can have a good diff. Torque steer is not a problem. But the, yeah, the suspension geometry on a new CTR, or I think it's even the new base model Civic stuff, like over that generation, like FK8, all that. It's super unique. But, um, 
that was definitely not a thing I was going to put on an EF. That sounds like a nightmare. Does. So yeah. I don't think I don't think those I don't think those things go together very well unless you tube frame the whole thing. And that, that was a goal to like not not tube frame it. You know? That was a little bit of discussion about something that was happening at Gridlife. Can you talk about any other behind the scenes stuff at, at Gridlife? Nothing like you know competition announcement or anything. But I haven't been up to the headquarters in like five years. What uh, what's really new? Been that what's long? going Why? on? Do you remember the? It's been that long. Since I think it was pre-COVID. It was maybe either right before we hired Kyle or or shortly after. Yeah. We did a show with him, and he was still doing Sim TV. Like that was oh, his yeah, first yeah. thing. That was that was a, was a that the day game that I, night like forever ago. Was that the day that I put that giant garage door in? Yes. Yeah, dude, that was that was a long time ago. That's where Yospeed is now. That garage. Oh, is that right? So, yeah, that's where Yawspeed is based out of. Which is um, probably still right across the way from the Smashing Pumpkins tour facility. Uh, yeah, like the storage place for Billy Corgan's things. Is <laughs> <laughs> like, if you come into our place, it's like the white wall on the left and the two weird steel doors. So um, um, if that's where Yawspeed is, does that mean that Gridlife basically has all of the rest of that area now? Yeah, and the, there was a lot more little walls, and like it was divided up into like four small areas, and like not small, but like fifty by hundred or fifty by seventy-five or something like that. Um, and that whole area is Gridlife Headquarters slash Car Club Chicago, which different business, but same thing. And then our offices are in. I've sent you pictures of it, but it's basically it's a. <laughs> we were like standing down there. We're like looking up in the ceiling. I'm like, that's a weird patch in the ceiling. I'll bet that's a room up there and not the air. And we had a man left at the time. She like poked our heads up and there was a 30 by 100 like office area that no one knew existed. So, How do you get, so I mean, I, I know that back. that's like climate controlled ish, like, but I don't remember it being overly warm in the winter. No, there's one, there's, there's a, there's Trent Reznor. It's a giant res. They call it Trent Reznor. But from like you know, what's his name? Nine Inch Nails. Trent Reznor. Um, yeah. There's there's a giant Reznor like hanging commercial furnace. Reznor is the brand, I guess. Uh, and it heats the whole area. It's not free to run it, but uh, it like keeps the office upstairs halfway decently warm. In a couple space heaters here and there. I've got I've got an AC system sitting on the floor there, a giant mini split uh, that has heat pumps also that, that didn't get installed this year because we did too many events. Yeah, how are you going to um, vent the um, for the air conditioner part? How are you going to vent the heat out? Yeah. Well, it's a mini split, so it would it has it has you know you run line set to an outdoor unit. Okay. And that would have to go on out on the roof, or there's a couple of like weird there's a couple like weird gangways that like you could just throw all the heat over there instead and the heat would just it stay up by the ceiling of the building but um haven't there's a lot of we basically have to mount the outside unit run power to it and then buy the correct length line set sure um so yeah just just a piece of the puzzle that didn't get solved but people are working out of the office so i, I built that office last winter basically i took down they put up they put up like plywood uh up there and it became like a storage facility until it was all boxed off and the staircase got taken down uh, like previous owners ago. And uh, and then we built a new staircase and I put glass 
I put glass walls in. Um, basically, I made it look like we spent two hundred and fifty thousand bucks to have somebody do it, and we did it for like fifty eight hundred dollars. Sweet. So that's a Dutch garage uh, moment. It, yeah, dude, it looks dope. Uh, and then Charlie, I pulled a bunch of, uh, pulled put a bunch of outlets and pulled a bunch of pipe and pulled a bunch of wire. And then Aaron, who's one of our ops guys at our events, he's a general contractor out of Michigan. He came in and did most of the drywall and the insulation and stuff like that for a couple of days and, you know, little details and stuff. And it's like, a, it's going to, if we stick it through, it's going to be a dope office. So sick, but uh, yeah, just a, just a side project for a day, like six days a year that gets worked on, which is done. Should get worked on more. Well, there's just no time. There's not a lot of time. Not when you're doing too many things. I'm trying to, since my dad's now like sort of able to like slow down a tiny bit. Um, I'm trying to go to grid life a couple days a week, uh, which would be nice and do this three to four days a week instead of five to six days a week. Um, especially in the pre-event part of the year, like January to April. So Right. It's uh, it's weird to think that we're we're not like we're not that far into the off season, but we're not that far away from ticket sales either. No, ticket sales need to they need to happen at the beginning of the year basically. there's uh, like we have payroll and we have to buy like the giant insurance policy at the beginning of the year, which is a giant amount of money and stuff like that. So the insurance policy is like a salary, basically. Got to buy that just just to start the year. Man, hmm. no, just prepay everything. Crazy. Or maybe um, we pay it. Maybe we pay it twice a year. I forget now. But yeah. so uh, you and I were on the phone the other day, and we were talking a little bit about the Grid Life trailer. I don't know mm-hmm. how much time we spent talking about that, but. Explain the concept for people that might not have seen it already. So like what's it's a giant old moving trailer. Give, um, let's talk a little bit then about the logistics of like going to all these different events and having all the stuff be in the right place at the right time. We've done it a bunch of different ways. Um, you, you started coming around in the days when the logistics were basically Chris towed a tiny van behind a tiny truck and he filled it with merch and that was not much merch. And then whatever trailer I currently owned, I would drive up in the middle of the night to wherever we had our crap stored, um, load it full, sometimes squeak my car, and usually it's just filled to the gills with event stuff. And we would both drive to the event. He'd usually get some merch dropped in, like he'd get a couple boxes of new merch for that event. Um, and then it just kind of like got... Got like too much for that. Um, there was a couple events. I think Road America, like 2019. I had my current trailer, maybe. No, my, that was my last trailer, my 20 footer. That's a Jabe. It was my uncle's old dirt bike trailer, Jabe Motorsports or something on the side. Um, it was like full completely. And I had a bunch of crap in the RV. And I bought an RV mainly to be able to also keep moving stuff. And because I wanted to like not sleep in a pickup truck. And yeah, it was just getting hard. So the RV was like, a st- the first RV was a stopgap so I could keep doing more and more events and also have equipment to bring stuff and go camping with my family sometimes. Or maybe they could come if they ever decided to. 
then I needed to tell more, tell more stuff. And then I got a bigger RV because I kept needing to move more things. Like 2019, we didn't have a, we did, we did three festivals and we didn't have much of a logistics plan. Like Dan DeVries towed my other 20 foot trailer down to Atlanta that year. And like I did, I towed almost everything out to PPIR for the first PPIR festival. Dan towed a bunch of stuff for the last Atlanta festival. And so did I, um, like we're doing this like real, real bootstrapping, real shoestring. And then in 2020, everything got scaled back a tiny bit. 2021, I think we hired out some loads. Like we, we like found a dude with a 53 foot trailer and he moved some pallets for us. To like a dude whose who's name events. was the same Acon. as a famous rapper for a while. I think that was actually his, that's actually his uh, internet screen name from back in the day. Um, but he was like a Honda guy that we knew from the area and he started hotshot trucking, basically hiring out loads. So we would hire him out for loads and that was just it, the economics of it just didn't work out. We were, paying, we were paying a lot of money for it. Um, and then we sort of like stop gapped that and palletized things in 2022. We like I drove stuff, Charlie drove stuff, Chris drove stuff and we, and we sent pallets. Well, there, there's sent like, pallets that's expensive. There's a detail here that is relevant. It was during COVID when uh, Gridlife really started accumulating sim rigs and yeah, also yeah. really right started transporting a bunch of them to different places, yeah. not just to motorsport right, events, yeah. but to other places too. That was end of 2019, right before COVID was, I think, was it 18 or 19 when we did our first game night? Um, I don't remember. I, th- I think it was 19. I, that could be right. Maybe it was 18, though. I don't Do you know. remember sitting um, on the floor of the the arena? Esports arena at the Luxor? In the Luxor, just like screwing together a bunch of sim rigs a few hours before our big party. As, with, as fast as we could. With hand tools because no one had anything yeah, else. We we had like one crappy drill and we were we didn't have time to like leave and go buy more tools and because like we had to put all of the shit together and it was taking twice as long as it should have. That um, was um that was like a logistical nightmare and an oversight on whoever planned the the like specifics of how are we gonna get this done. I think the hard the, the worst part was like because we couldn't get like we we couldn't get them out of we couldn't get the rigs they were supposed to be built for a couple of days and like couldn't get them out of some kind of shipping nightmare that was seen. Oh, oh yeah. Well, no, I remember like they yeah, were in a, some kind of like storage of some kind at the Luxor. And like, we had to yeah. talk to the hotel and we're like, where are these? It, it was, it was a bunch of problems. And we were also like, we were noobs kind of like it, we didn't, we didn't have any idea how long it would take to put together a sim. Rig. We got pretty good at them by like sim rig two of 12 or whatever. Um, and that's probably what, like then, 20 generations ago, you guys have cycled through equipment a lot. Well, the, the rigs are the same, like, base structure, but yeah, I get it, the, like, TVs and TVs and all the electronic stuff. That stuff is, that stuff has changed a bunch, but um, I can't most even of tell that you, was like... Do, uh, back in the day, we were using Xboxes with... Um, yeah. Forza. I got one of those in my basement. I don't like. Are we still? What are what what powers the Sims today? It's all PCs now. And is it iRacing? 
iRacing or Assetto Corsa or whatever. Okay. Yeah, so I, it's one. It's one of those two. I had typically. no idea. Assetto Corsa is like is pretty solid for drifting and stuff now. Got it. Um, yeah, they they slowly bought PC stuff. A lot of that stuff was like donated for that party, and like Fanatec or whoever was like, "Yeah, take this stuff." So they gave us like a ton of stuff, and we were like, "I guess we gotta do this now." Um, and then we, you know, we've been adding on to it slowly since then it wasn't like crazy huge investment aside from like the dice roll of the event which was a ton of money it was like all the rest of the money and then chris like i think he dumped his 401k into it in order to like try to try to make a wave at SEMA and like hey we're cool sponsor us and like it actually worked (laughs) it was the craziest dice roll (laughs) but it actually did work that's Uh, insane yeah that was like how we got fcp euro valvoline all this stuff so but um yeah that event was hard but yeah now we move around half a dozen sim rigs which takes up some space it's not the end of the world space wise but then we like we kept having to like take all the ops stuff out of a trailer which is like everything from hoses to freaking tools to whatever out of a trailer or something uh and then somebody would forget it and they get tossed in a pile and it was all a mess well and i um i think it's important to say that was how we started the year too that a lot of the, let's call it ops stuff, isn't necessarily the stuff you would take with you if you were, you know, going to Joe's weekend track day, right? Like the, no, the stuff that this we is bring stuff to with like us. Build a, it's to build a campground and to build a freaking store and all that stuff. But like we're literally building out campgrounds and building out a whole city. The, even our smaller events tend to have like some fraction of that obligation, right? So oh, yeah. what it meant is we were consistently loading and unloading a trailer and like um, developing um, ad hoc packing lists and all of these things. And it probably doesn't surprise anyone that that takes a massive amount of time. It was terrible. It was actually like, it. that was the thing I hated the most about this was like, Loading and unloading, pre-event, post-event, pre-event, post-event. It was like all I did was drive back and forth with an old ancient truck and an old trailer to a place that the truck and trailer could barely fit into, unload the things, and then load them back up 10 days later after they got reorganized, and then go make a mess out of them at a racetrack again. Or Charlie would take them, and we'd forget things, and I'd forget things. It was, it was hard. Well, um, even, even on the motorsport side, the consumables are – sometimes difficult to take keep track of because you're yeah. not in a stationary stuff. place. Like if you had a store and you yep. had inventory to manage, it would not be so bad. But if you pack up and uh, roll out your store once every week to two weeks and you cycle through hundreds of banners and stickers and, and all of these different things, like um, managing an inventory is kind of hard. Like, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't know how we actually did it back in the day. We were only doing three or four events, but it was well. We the the banners and stuff got more sophisticated over the last couple of years uh, with the stream because we had color coded colors and tr- like class uh, specific banners and things. Whereas like back in the day, it was you know you had a drift banner and you had the other banner. Yeah, Is we that, didn't really start streaming anything until 2019 either. Right. We tried some streams in 2019. But the yeah. end of 2018 at, at Road Atlanta was like the first stream we did. I remember. 
first real one. We did like some dinking around stuff in middle of 2018. But like even those things, yeah, managing transponders, managing the hardware, like making sure it's in the right place and making sure it's charged and all of those things, super complicated if you're doing a whole bunch of events. Yeah. This uh, one, and then, the so one we that started... really stood out to me this year was when we went straight from Heartland to Willow mm-hmm. Springs. And yeah. so that that's basically Sunday night. You hope that you get all the transponders back. You charge them as much as you we can, did. and then you toss them in the trailer, and the the trailer just leaves Kansas and goes straight to California. And, well, uh, it's there for you when that you was, get there. That was the first time the transponders had ever been out of, like, the possession of us or, or a trusted friend on the way to an event, which was kind of spooky to me. For sure. <laughs> Not only are they insanely they expensive that we owned, to replace, yeah. like the expense is one thing, but if you don't have the equipment, you cannot can't do, do the event. You can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah. Um, luckily, in California, there is there's the Speed Ventures people in Austin used to run that, and we could probably meet them somewhere and steal a bunch, but they probably wouldn't be charged. You know, probably not. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, that kind of stuff is stressful. I don't. I don't like not having the, the transponders above anything. I don't like not having them with a core st- staff member. So. Yeah. And they, the, the furthest they've ever been away from a core staff member has been they were with Mark Nugid and Les on the way to Willow Springs last year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which I'll, I'll trust those dudes my, with my life. So. Well, it's, they dro- it's they drove interesting, out though, with- because uh, if if what happened to Jeremy Swenson on his way to Laguna or his car on the way to Laguna, just because you put it yep. in a trusted rig doesn't mean it'll make it to the destination. Oh, there was always there was always a contingency of like, uh, if it if it doesn't work, here's what we do. So yeah. I, I I always thought I thought I thought through those things. Like if it didn't work, I would just fly to them, get a rental car. Uh, that was the plan actually. And then all of us truck out as fast as we can and buy some power inverters and charge them on the way and then rent them out the minute we get there. Kind of thing. So I don't want to spoil the details because maybe it's not finalized or firm or whatever, but I looked at the schedule and I We're believe... talking about trucks. We didn't, we didn't finish talking about our logistics plan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll ask this other question. Okay. Well, th- so we started the year this year with we just we were going to rent a trailer and then have it moved around. And we ended up running just like a straight trailer and the deck is real high, you know? Um, and everybody hated it and it was not big enough and it was terrible. Everything about it was terrible and the plan like didn't work well. This is, you know, like Charlie's first stab at like, I think we can get it all in a 53 foot trailer and then we just pay somebody to move it around we'll rent the trailer and it won't be that, won't be that expensive. We need way more room. Uh, we need a lower deck height uh, because loading everything in with a forklift is terrible and not being able to just easily jump up in there is terrible. Even with the trailer we got right now, it's a little high, but like it's way lower than a regular trailer, you know, semi trailer because it's a moving van. It's a 20, 2012 Kentucky moving van. It's got the underbelly bays and doors nice. everywhere so you can easily, easily forklift things in and out and stuff like All that. All of so, my crap has been yeah. in one of those trucks a bunch of times. Yeah, they're that you you you're a moving van expert now. You moved Basically. 28 times in the last four years. Basically, um, yeah, it was it was like a uh, a post CMP. Like we hated this semi trailer. My dad was like, "She's buying a moving van." 
And I looked them up and I was like, yeah, we should. These aren't that expensive. <laughs> um, and they like, you know, they if you buy one that's not super rusty, it's it's like a lifetime thing too, you know. It could be, we could use this thing for a decade or more. Uh, minimal maintenance, you know, real simple. So, so that's the bottle living van. I mean, you bought it. It's a 2012 or whatever, which 20, means it's 10 years old. No. Um, had yep. all the tires been replaced? Had the airbags been replaced? Yep. Like, oh, did you have to go through a bunch of maintenance? No, I, I went and it was in uh, Lamont in Illinois. So I went over there and looked at it and the dude, basically it's a company that brings them in. They paint them, refurbish them, uh, and just go through everything. And, uh, so we, I inspected all the airbags. There's literally no rust on the thing at all. I had new tires in the last 24 years, 24 months. So they got like eight years of life on them if we want. Um, stuff like that. The lines were all checked. The lights were all checked. The ABS was checked, all that kind of stuff. So I did a bunch of research on it. We bought that. And then we've been slowly figuring out how we want to use it. And this winter we're planning on doing like a, a rough build out on it. Um, to where everything, cause right now, like, Hey, I need that one green tote and it's in a sea of 52 green totes. Um, I need the motorsports. Uh, I need the instructor's tote. I need the motorsports tech tote, like all those things. And we roughly know where they're at, but they're on a pallet that has to be pulled off and unwrapped. And you got to find it. And it's a nightmare. So we're going to build a, a wall tote or a wall for totes where it's like a freaking library where you like check things in and check them out and everything's got a number or a barcode or something. That's the plan. And then I'm, I'm it'll probably make packing that. up a lot nicer too. It'll yeah. make packing up a lot nicer too. Because, like, if you or Giles walks up, you know, hey, this tote's ready. I'm like, go put it in the trailer because it has a spot. Right. You know what Where I mean? Like it doesn't have to be on a pack, has, on a pallet. Yeah. Even yeah. if you go pick out a book at the library, if you know the code, you can put it back and you don't need to know where it was in the first place. Yeah, you don't need to pick out a pallet of books and find it in the pallet. You pick out the book. So that's, that's like, the plan for a... Uh, effectively like one whole wall will be that and there would be enough room in the back to probably put a tiny truck um probably room in the front with some fold down tables to make a production office for bigger events um and probably like a little little trap door that we like plop a little 150 dollar ac unit in uh and you know some of the things might even be able to be repurposed as bunks like shelves you just roll out a mat and you sleep on it sure could be it could actually be very very practical as a once we're done, uh, it can be pretty practical as well, a multi-use event vehicle. So. Yeah, it's. And we're also talking about uh, buying some big old tents, um, like giant pop-ups, uh, and then branding it to where it looks good with the tents next to it. And like one side will be merch, and like merch just lives in the trailer, and open it up in the morning and set up the merch booth. The other side is like driver services slash tech inspection. Uh, that's that's a that's probably one of the directions it'll go. So we'll see where so that goes. Through. The more you talk about this, the more I'm reminded of uh, some of my childhood. At yeah. One of my dad's first jobs or careers, I told you my dad was uh, originally an auctioneer as his first trade. And yeah. when I was, I don't know, four to seven, he worked for a company that, traveled all over the United States and had auctions selling uh-huh. tools. Like a state sales? No, selling tools out of a semi-truck. Uh-huh. So they would 
like imagine, hand tools and stuff like that? Yeah, no, no, no. Not just hand tools, like power tools and big shop tools and whatever. Imagine if you packed up the entirety of a Harbor Freight store and you just drove it to oh, a cool. town and had an auction one night. And you could buy Super weird. all of the things. I, I mean, maybe this was pre-Harbor Freight. I, I'd have to look up the history of Harbor Freight. But that, oh, was, yeah, that was the kind of stuff that they sold. And yeah, they would just go to a place and they'd have an auction and people would buy tools. And so uh, my That's dad was bizarre. on the road a lot when I was growing up doing that. And I went with him a bunch of times, but living like in and out of a semi truck on a daily basis was not dissimilar from what you're talking about right here. Yeah. It, um, it'll probably be, that'll probably be the 2024 plan and like, It'll be reconfigurable, you know, take a bunch of bolts out and move a shelf if you want to change things. Um, but, but I think we have a pretty good plan of how we operate and how we need to operate. We need to be able to do small events, big events, and everything in between and not, you know, literally not need. We're wasting so much manpower, like, looking for stuff and, like, putting stuff back. And there's so many bottlenecks. Um and I hate it. So, but it was, you know, it was, it was a good stopgap because we could actually get everything in it. Um, and it was, you know, like basically like a quarter of it was paid for by not having to rent the trailer for yeah. a year. So like in four or five years, it's paid, paid off and it's also worth value, worth money. So. so this is an area that because I'm not full-time grid life, I don't get to be as hands-on as I might want. Um, the, the bottlenecks and efficiencies and the processes and things are at least part of what I have responsibility to do in my actual job. And, yeah. and uh, you obviously do a lot of this stuff with us here too. Yes. But like not as much as a, of it as I might want to, just because like, I don't have the hours available and I'm not in person um, mm -hmm. at, at the office very often or ever really. But um, well, uh, I'm those things I think are really fun. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to doing it. The only problem is that I also have a giant backlog at my other job, and all I do is work and be cold right now, which sucks. Right now, I'm racing the bad, bad weather. I'm racing the holidays because everybody wants their stuff put in before the holidays. So this is like my least favorite time of year. And we also got PRI. We're going to go dink around in Indy for three days, and it's my least favorite time of year. Um, this will allow me to transition into the other topic I was – leading into was trailer related, uh, which is, I believe it will be the case in 2024 that there are two events happening at the same time on the same weekend. At Probably. least the last time I looked at the schedule, that was the case, which means yeah. if we're doing competition at both places, how, uh, what is your plan for ensuring that we have the right equipment and the right people? And how do you, it, it's a little bit more intricate than doing a track day in two places. So, uh, what are the, what are the things going through your mind for how to juggle all of that? Hire people, hire a different team <laughs> for the other one. There's, there's the potential that will be, there will be grid life time attack in one place and also a giant giant grid life event in another place so like of course that's going to be have to have to be at the giant giant event um there are teams that do all those things 
that, that we would need to do. And maybe one of our leadership would have to be at the other one, but mm-hmm. that's all still T it's TBD based on like some of the franchise stuff with, with other group. So. Sure. Uh, what about yeah, in the, in the equipment? middle of the Slack chat? With, uh, rent it. Got it. Renting it There's from the same place that we it. normally rent it. No, he's shutting down. We, we should be stocking up. Um, yeah, but right now there's there's always the end of there's the December lack of money. That's the problem. It'll be it'll probably be a post ticket sale by another case of transponders is one thing, um, and maybe another decoder. But uh, that'll probably be part of our investment for next year. But also, I don't want to bore uh, people also, to death. But uh, you and I should talk about the uh, capex project process that we have at work. And how to make sure that we have the money for things when we need them? Uh, it it uh, it probably I've seen the word capex all over Chris's computer. I don't know what capex means. It's capital expenditures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah. The, right now we're not in the borrow money phase, and we're not in the investment phase. So like we're in a fine place, but like yeah, we're just being a little bit. You know, tight with the purse strings on big purchases and transponders are big purchases. Those are the case transponders is like a, a lot of money, like 15 G's. <laughs> so, 15 for a new stupid. set or a used set? 14.9 right now with a discount uh, for brand new. Dang, that's a sweet yeah. deal. Not a bad deal, but you got to buy a whole case of them. Still. Yeah. I probably shouldn't say that number out there. That's a, that's a, that's like, that's my price. Because I because I think I'm friends with him now. <laughs> well, and you're a volume buyer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're the only ones that have been able to buy brand new non non um, non. Uh, uh, what's the word? Subscription. subscription. No, uh, I, Alex Moss has yeah, his own, in the, in the, and like a few others do. But in terms of, like no, I mean, like in the cases, past few years, they yeah. haven't. They were very reluctant to make this. They didn't want to like do them for us. So. Yeah. Uh, we had to, I think we had to buy three in order to buy any. That was the that was the deal. Interesting. Um, and I'd heard that there was some discussion about whether or not this technology is going to be superseded, even by AMB. Do you know anything about that? Uh, yeah, they've got they've got like uh, their GPS stuff out, but it's also very expensive and it's more aimed towards pro racing and like stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of people that want to like do GPS based transponders. There's also just not the – there's the accuracy, but it's not the timing loop-based accuracy. So, sure. And there's also there's there was all the talks of once the patent patents expired and some of the stuff that people were going to come up with these knockoff transponders and whatever. But nobody's came up with a great, great system. There's like a half-price system that's not as – the software The software is really the bottleneck. Um, AMB themselves – basically owns the software and um yeah that's how they that's how they manage the subscription model because the subscription transponder uh will it's still a transponder but the number on it will get refused by the software if it's not paid for right even though like the, the loop is seeing it the decoder is seeing it and all that stuff that's my understanding of it um, but yeah it's it's interesting it's a weird weird time in that world, but I don't think there's a quite a big enough market for somebody to like coming with a whole brand new system because like everybody's already got this. 
Sure. You know and I mean? like, if you did a market sizing analysis, like a consultant would, how big is the market not, for these the, transponders? It's pretty small. Like, no, it's pretty, it's, it's, and it's also saturated and people are still buying things, but not a lot. Um, it's a saturated market. You can't really penetrate a saturated and satisfied market. Right. Like, so like even, you know, even us buying, I don't know, a hundred more transponders might be an unusual thing, uh, an unusual order yeah. to fill for um, A and B because like who's buying that many transponders because most race series already have their equipment. So the only people that mm -hmm. might be buying it that are new are new yep. series, which are generally uncommon and new racers maybe, but like not people a bunch. And replacing people are replacing things, but like these things are these, the old school ones are like so bulletproof that, and there's a couple of companies that fix them and like, they just last forever. Just change the batteries or have them rebuilt or make them a 12 volt, you know, hardwire one or whatever. Like I have a 12 volt hardwire in my car, probably will last forever. So as long as that technology is being used, but I don't know. We'll see. It, GPS stuff is, is intriguing from a lot of other ways because like, you know, especially from like a broadcast perspective, it can be, you can get like a, a mile per hour on a car as it's doing its lap, you know, and without having, decoders everywhere and radar guns and all that stuff. So, so the, um, the technology that I'm hoping to see, but am not overly optimistic that I'll see for 2024 is I would really like to see the integration of sector times. Yeah, it, it's probably not multiple loop sector times, but there probably will be sector times in some other fashion through uh, a different company, but we'll see. I'm hopeful. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where we get. Man, we just had a long podcast. Thought we weren't going to do a long one. No, well, that was not the plan. <laughs> yeah, we we're going to talk about rules and stuff too. I don't know. When do you want to do that? Uh, all right, now I'm getting tired, man. I've been standing in my living room and I, I'm standing in the cold all day. I mean, we can try to do it tomorrow. Um, we uh, we could shoot for that tomorrow or the next day at the latest, and then we put them out for provisional, probably. Yep. And otherwise, I, otherwise, just call me during your lunch break. We, we need to chat. I could take uh, I could take my recorder to lunch, uh, and potentially record idea. a show during during the day. That's not a terrible idea if you get time. Um, but I'm leaving today's what Tuesday, and Tuesday. I'm leaving Saturday morning at. I'm leaving my house at like four, so that we can go to Disney World and. Disney. Uh, you and I have been talking about this and I had kind of been uh, not razzing, but was maybe not fully understanding how crazy Disney World is for people who are trying to plan a vacation. And it's so dumb. Uh, James Houghton has been to Disney like a million times and every year of his life, I believe, confirmed that he base his family basically makes reservations for essentially every meal for every day. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Uh, that's what you do in advance. And if you don't, yeah, my, my, everything's booked up. My wife did it. My wife did it. There, she had an alarm set for, I think it was early in the morning. Like the, the reservation, she knew the day the reservations would turn on for the days that we would be there. And she would get up in the morning and get the reservation for the day that we were going to be there. Like she had done so much planning. And I talked to Houghton about the stuff for a couple hours, 
but like my wife's gone so deep into this planet. It's, it's dumb. It's crazy how nuts Disney is. Well, it, it just strikes me as being more complicated than it needs to be, but you know, that's, that's, it seems like in the effort to uncomplicate things and make and streamline things, they've made them, um, very complicated, but it's also become like a side, like, like going to Disney and doing it well is a four day process or a six day process or however long you want to do it. Right. But the lead up is like, it's, it's like a, my wife's been planning this stuff for since July. Yeah, I believe it. And she's, and it's like all she thinks about in whenever she gets done with work, she's like, Oh, I gotta think about this. Read the blog, watch the videos. Like it's, it becomes everybody's hobby. I think that's maybe they've just created a, a cult, uh, you know, a rabbit cult. They're doing the same thing that we've been doing. We're, we're doing, we're being Disney for a bunch of weird drivers. Yeah, I get that. We're creating a rabbit cult. <laughs> but, and do you yeah, remember, the, to, do you remember back in the day when we were not very good at things, when, uh, the best way to figure out what time you could get into the track on let's say mm-hmm. what when load in was on Friday was you just had to know Adam or Abe on Facebook and message them and yeah, get an answer. Yeah. That's in 2016, 17. Yeah. And then when people were new, 20, 2017 like, was early days when, when people were new and they weren't at the time, not super in the know with the vibe and like how things are generally just like fluid and chill and, you know, or like on the Facebook pages at that time. That was kind of 2017 was like when Facebook pages got made and stuff like that. I think. Yeah. Or like um, groups, like the track battle group and all this was like yep, 17 yep. probably. But even like, uh, well, what time is tech on Friday? And you're like, well, when we get there and get set up, it'll probably be about five or six. Well, what time does it close? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Probably midnight, uh, whenever there are no more cars. And yeah. there, it was a contingent of people and there still continues to be a contingent of people that, um, are like overly concerned that we are going to be especially rigid. And in some mm-hmm. places we have to be rigid because of the circumstances. But like in other cases, yeah, man, like you, just, you need someone to check your car on a Sunday. We'll get you squared away. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I hate, I hate being super rigid, but at some point you gotta be, you can't just let everything happen. Unless you just work and make your dad. You have, you've Mr. Adam, you have let some things happen. Let me tell you. Oh yeah. yeah. No, I know I'm being, I'm, I'm being uh, informed, and now I see why that we can't just let everything happen. Well, <laughs> there was there was once some drift cars at PPIR that I saw some post event footage, and I was like, "Oh boy!" Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a long time ago. PPIR was years ago. That is true. Well, I think we did a you show. Did, uh, you're talking about when the drift cars drove by some some people that might be on this phone call at a high rate of speed. Um, no, I was, I was thinking more about drift cars without doors on where people were trying to oh, touch the time. other car. <laughs> that one monster ad. <laughs> uh, stupid Cletus and Vaughn. Oh, <laughs> Everyone is quite lucky. They didn't lose a limb. Yeah. They, they were carrying their own insurance policies. That was part of the reason I wasn't as worried about it. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it happens. Imagine, imagine the cleanup and the delay of track time when you have to pick someone's arm up off the track. It's Colorado. Nobody would notice. Everybody's high. 
<laughs> True story. That, that one race, that, that one racetrack, PPIR, was one of my favorite places to operate, aside from like the pavement actually falling apart. But one of my favorite places to operate because they handed us the keys and like me and John just ran the racetrack. It was so the best. I've made this joke before, but it's worth making again. PPIR was so chill and loose that had you said to Bob, hey, we want to do a human sacrifice on the track while the GLTC is running. Mm-hmm. Bob would be like, all right, cool. Who's up? <laughs> At least the first couple of years when Bob was there. And then when Bob wasn't there, it was the same. <laughs> it was like, uh, it, it, I tried to treat it a little bit more formally. Like when Jeanette was there the last couple of years, um, and like, I would call her and be like, Hey, Jeanette, I want to run an extra half hour. And she's like, it's your racetrack. I'm like, okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> it was pretty great. Hey, Jeanette, we're going to, we're going to turn all the lights on and waste a bunch of electricity. And your corner workers are fine with it because they're all my friends now. It's like Lucas and like two other dudes. You know? <laughs> um, and, uh, that was where we met Lucas, Lucas Urban. But, uh, yeah, the place was fun, man. It was a long pavement. time ago. Like, they fixed the dip, but like the the, I guess the cracks are still like it's all just. I don't. Maybe people won't walk the track, but like every time I go up there, I'd be like, "Geez, these are softball-sized chunks of asphalt." It's crazy, dude. So, yeah, what is the thing that you're most looking forward to? Maybe this will it will be what we close on. What's the thing you're most looking forward to in 24? Uh, I think the new festival the new one that we haven't announced and we won't talk about. Mm. Is it at the place that? Yep. Yeah. Sick. <laughs> See, you yeah, and I'm I never talk, so even I don't fully know what the details are. Mm, yeah. I mean, you, I think you have a good idea. The, the, I'm also looking forward to uh, having an established Carolina festival and not having to start that. Having an even more established um, Lime Rock and not having to like dread that money wise and being able to be efficient there having a established Laguna festival and not having to take literally the biggest dice roll that we've ever taken as a company. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to less of a building year and more of like a, uh, I, I think I, hopefully this is the year that like it's, it turns into like the next step of grid life, like spectator wise. So that's the hope. neat. I'm into it. Yeah. And like driver programs are all pretty solid. Um, people seem to like the provisional GLTC rules for the most part. Uh, I feel like we're in a pretty good spot. Time attack rules wise. Uh, and those will come out ASAP. But yeah, I think we're in a good spot. My biggest, not concern, but the, I, I don't even know if it's a hang up or a concern or how you might say it. The, the thing that I think will be most difficult with the GLTC rules is um, in a timely manner, responding to all of the dyno requests with the appropriate modifiers. Like that's a, yep. that's a human element that has to happen and it has to happen yep. on a certain time frame. and managing that and making sure it doesn't break somewhere is the thing that I think might be tricky. Yeah. Um, like worst case scenario, I'll just assign all of them as as soon as they come in. 
but I don't want to do that. So I want to run them through like a committee. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Which also means that like doing it the day of at the event will be limiting. Yeah. You won't be able to run through a committee the day of the event, but I think basically we have, we'll have an example of every single one. Uh, and you compare, look at the area of the curve, look at the ang- angle of the line, look at the RPM range of flat. And that'll tell you, it's only like a, you know, it's zero to nine or negative, basically negative two to nine. What's negative uh, and two? most of what you're, uh, the, and stuff we won't even have to really judge like an NAB 16, uh, you know, stuff like that. Got it. Um, tiny, tiny engines. I think it's negative two tiny engines, natural power band. Um, but then, you know, like a, you get a Corvette for flat for 25 to 3,500, like that's a big range. So that's a different percentage point. You know? We have to zoom in. We're going to have to zoom in a lot of a lot of graphs. Sure. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be right. Racer math. Uh, it's the only. I think it's the only way to uh, that. And I've put in the rules that there is a basically a mandatory mid-season rules revision, uh, just in case needed. Um, I think that's the only way to ensure the parity. So sure. realistically. Sure. Well, I think we did a show, right. Adam. Well, a long one. Yeah. You're. Uh, turn into a pumpkin you gotta get up and go to bed yeah get up go to bed and get up early go to work do the things all right talk to you later buddy slip angle was created by austin cabot and adam jubay co-hosted by Derek yarbrough and production by abram schmucker who mixes all of our terrible audio if you like the show please rate us and review us on itunes and come and find us in the pits of the grid live to say hello 